0: Do you ever think about the fact that we, we tend to end our prayers saying, in Jesus' name? I've got to be honest with you, for a long time, I never really thought that much about it. It was just something we did. What I've discovered is that in the early church, because most of the, the Christians were Jewish, and they kept praying a lot of their Jewish prayers because they're praying to the same God, but they, 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 want, they, used, they began and often ended their prayers in Jesus' name so that they would remember and so that the people around them would know that while they prayed to the same God, they're praying and believing in Jesus. I think for some people, I think ending a prayer in Jesus' name actually kind of feels a little like magic. You know, if I don't say in Jesus' name, God's not going to give me what I want. And it sort of becomes like they're rubbing the genie in the bottle or saying the right words to get out of God what we hope. And, and it becomes sort of a magic incantation for us. And I suspect most of us are like me, we just didn't think that much about it. It's just common. It's just the way it is. It's just something we do because we've always done it and it doesn't make any difference. But there is something significant about ending our prayers in the name of Jesus. It's not magic. But there is a significance. There is a message. There is a there is a point to that, and there is something that we're doing when we say that, or at least we should be doing when we say that. Something about Jesus' name. You know, names are important to us. They're interesting. We we probably a lot of parents we spend time thinking about what we're going to name our children. And and I'm just I've been reading recently about names, and there's a there's a a theory called nominative. Um, my mind's gone blank. Nominative determinism that says there is a connection between a person's name and things, some things about their future. And and what it's, what the principle of it is that there are if there are people, for instance, if someone named Helen Painter, there's a good chance she will be an artist. Someone named Billy Hogg, there's a good chance he may go into something related to agriculture. And they found that there is, for instance, an over-preponderance of people named Denise and Dennis and who are dentists. And people named Lauren and Lori and Lawrence, who end up being lawyers. Now, we hear that and we go, that doesn't make any sense. What difference does that make what your name is? And yet, studies seem to show that there are some trends about it. And and when I think about that, then I'm reminded of the Old Testament and how many times God says to parents, this is what you name your child, or God himself names the child, because there is significance to that name. And it has a bearing on who they are and who they become. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to to Israel. You have these names, and you get to the New Testament, and the angel tells Zechariah, when this child is born, you're to name him. John. And of course, the most famous is the angel that comes to Joseph and says, Mary's going to have a son and you're to name him Jesus. It's not a coincidence that the Messiah is named Jesus. That's a part of God's plan. It's a part of who Jesus is of what Jesus is going to accomplish. And Paul picks up on that idea in Philippians chapter 2. After describing all the sacrifice that Jesus makes, he says, therefore... God has given him the highest name, elevated him to the highest place and the highest honor, and given him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. When I think about that, I remember Paul is a Jew. He's he's steeped in Judaism. He knows the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. And when Paul hears about the name of Jesus as the Son of God, his mind is going to go back to Exodus chapter 3. Because in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is out in the wilderness, standing in front of the burning bush, and this bush, and he sees the bush. It doesn't burn up. He says, maybe I should go look at this. And he goes over, and the Lord speaks to him out of the bush. And he says, Moses, I want you to, I want you to go down to Egypt and rescue my people. And Moses says, okay, but if I go, they're going to want to know who sent me. What's your name? And God says, here's my name. I am who I am. Or as some ter- it, I will be who I will be. This is who I am. And Paul would connect that name to Jesus' name because in John's gospel, over and over again, Jesus says, I am who I am. I am, I am. And in fact, in John chapter 8, they're ready to stone Jesus because he says, Before Abraham was, I am. And they know that means Jesus is saying, I'm God. The one that you worshipped from the burning bush, the one who described himself in the burning bush, that's me. And Paul gets that. And there is power. What he's telling us here when we pray in Jesus' name, there is power that we are tapping into. There is power that we are recognizing, power we're believing in about Jesus' name. John says to us at the end of his gospel, I've written this gospel so that you would believe in the name of Jesus and the power and the truth of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 4, after healing a man who was lame outside the temple, they're about ready to, you know, they're Peter and John are like the greatest people in the world. And they say to the folks, look, it wasn't us who healed him. He was healed in the name, through the power of the name of Jesus. And later in that chapter, they're praying to God, and they say, Lord, stretch out your hand with healing power. May, many, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of Jesus. It ought to change the way we pray. We ought to pray with power and confidence and boldness, not because of us, but because of him in whose name we pray. When we think, what difference does it make? When we wonder about the world and all the problems, can God do anything about it? When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are declaring, yes, God can. He's greater, as we're saying. He's greater. He has no rival. He has no equal. As N.T. Wright says, God is not just the, the greater being among all these similar beings. He is completely other than all these beings. In the Old Testament, you only worship two things. Either you worship Yahweh or you worship not Yahweh. Either you worship God or not God. And God is the great, through Jesus Christ, is is the essence of the power of our prayers to do more than we could dream or imagine. And we ought to be praying bold prayers and confident prayers because of who he is. But names also connect us with people, right? As soon as you, when you know someone's name, you feel a connection to them. I think that's why we, we like, we're interested in people who have similar, same name as us, first name or last name. We automatically think, feel just a little bit of a connection. Thomas Oden was famous theologian, just died a few years ago. I was in seminary, I, I, I was in the bookstore, and I saw a book that he had written on the shelf, And it was a book, Uh, he had taken some of the writings of John Wesley and edited them. And so they were sort of, they were both the authors of the book. And what grabbed my attention was that in the binding of the book, it had the name of the book, and then it said Wesley Oden. I almost bought the book just because of that. You know, it was like, I'll never publish a book, but hey, I've got one with a name on it. And, And, you know, there's something about that that connects us, makes us famous. We love to name things because it connects us to them. We name our pets and some people name their homes, some name boats and some people name their, their, their uh, you know, the different things of their, their lives, little children name their dolls. It's one of the reasons why why people who raise livestock for food forbid their children from naming the animals because it's a whole lot easier to eat pig number 27 than it is princess, right? I mean, you know, who, you know they're not going to do that. It's just hard. You know, names connect us to people and things. And when you read, go back to again to Exodus chapter 3. Not only does God say, my name is Yahweh, how we interpret it, I am who I am. But he also says, I'm the God of your ancestors. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the name by which I will be known for all generations. God's name is not just about power, it's about relationship. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are connecting ourselves to the Almighty One who answers prayers because He loves us. Who hears our prayers because He loves us, because He wants relationship with us. And we see that so clearly in Jesus Christ. And we can pray, not just with confidence because God has power, but with confidence because God has a relationship with us. And he desires to be close to us. And we can count on Him. We can trust Him. And that means we can give Him the full prerogative to answer our prayers in however He feels is best. Because we know every answer He gives is an act of love for us. But we don't always see that, right? Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want, and it feels like God has abandoned us. It feels like God, God doesn't care about us. And that's why Paul says to the Romans, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's always good. It's always right. Someone, scholars, reading the other day said, if I knew that God answered every single one of my prayers, I'd never pray again. Because quite frankly, in retrospect, I probably don't want God to answer all my prayers. What do I know? I mean, I have a narrow view of what's right and wrong for the eternal purposes of people and life. God only knows that. I, my prayers are always get me out of this mess as quickly as possible and as easily as possible. But God has bigger things in mind. And when we begin to understand that relational nature of our prayers in the name of Jesus, then what Jesus says to his disciples in John 14 makes a lot more sense. He says, whatever you ask in my name will be done for you. There are people who take that and say, this is magic. By praying Jesus' name, God has to do it. Jesus said. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is, when you know the depths of my love for you and, and when you connect with me in relationship then, and, and you are willing to give me the prerogative to answer your prayers however I want to because I know what is best, then we begin coming to the place where we pray only the kinds of prayers that Jesus would pray. Which means you pray in complete openness to God. We can say to him whatever... We need to say, just as Jesus does. And we come in confidence of God. And we come in, in, in expressing the desires of our hearts to God. And we begin to believe and trust that there are some things that maybe we shouldn't pray because Jesus wouldn't pray them. I have a hard time picturing Jesus praying a vindictive prayer against His enemies. When on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them. I have a difficult time praying a prayer, asking God to let us get away with whatever we can. There are some things that we begin to see in prayer differently because of our relationship with God. Because of Remember, Jesus says to his disciples, this is how you should pray. Our Father. Our Father. And ultimately, when we talk about praying in the name of Jesus, we get to the end of this section that Paul describes here. And he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are doing now what every everyone in existence will do then. We are bowing down before Him in worship. We are confessing that He is the Lord in worship. And it's all to the glory of God. There is a a connection between the Son being exalted and God being glorified. And when you read through the Scriptures, especially in the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying, Father, I'm doing this for your glory. And you hear the, the Father saying, this is my Son whom I love. And there is something in their relationship that, that the Son loves to glorify the Father, and the Father loves to exalt the Son. And every time we offer our prayers in the name of Jesus to the glory of God, we are giving them one more opportunity to bring glory and exaltation to each other. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are acknowledging who Jesus is. And anytime time Jesus is exalted and acknowledged, God gets glory. Because every person who acknowledges Jesus and confesses Jesus is recognizing who Jesus is. And in that moment, God is glorified because they are coming to the place of understanding the greatness of God and the love of God and beginning to experience the, the, the shalom of God that He always intended from the beginning. And what everyone will do one day, the reason that brings glory to God is because now every single person sees it. Every person now will see who Jesus is. You're not going to be forced to worship Him They just will, because they'll see it. And we will see it in ways that we can't now, but we still worship. And one of the ways we do that is through our prayers in the name of Jesus. There is something about the name of Jesus that I'm going to tell you I often miss. And I suspect maybe you do as well. Sam Kamalason was a an evangelist uh, back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. He um, held crusades all over the world, and he tells a story of being in Romania in the 1980s while it was still un- a part of the Soviet bloc behind the Iron Curtain. When I heard this story, not all that long ago was when I heard it, I didn't realize that, that you could have the crusades in in mean, this atheistic Romania, but because he wasn't American, because he wasn't Western, he was from the nation of India. They let him in, and they let him preach. And so he's holding these these great uh, evangelistic crusades, and he said it was one of the most amazing experiences of his life. Every night, preaching in this atheistic communist country. He would preach and the place would be packed. And every night he'd give an invitation for people to come to pray. And hundreds and hundreds would come forward to pray. He said one night he didn't give an invitation and hundreds still came to pray. He said it was a phenomenal experience. But he said something happened one of the nights that he didn't really know what to do with. In the middle of his sermon, he heard this wave of sound coming at him would come, and then it would subside. And it would come again, and it would subside. And he began, as he heard it, he began to realize that it was the women in the crowd weeping. And he said every time he said the name Jesus, this this great wave of weeping from the women would come at him. And then as he kept going, every time he said the name Jesus, the men joined them, and this louder wave, would come at him, and, and eventually everybody in the place, every time he said the name Jesus, there was this just huge wave of sound, of weeping coming at him. He said by the time he got to the end of the sermon, every time he said the name Jesus, he was weeping. He said, I realized in that moment that these people who had not been able to speak the name of Jesus who had not been able to come together and worship and think about Jesus and talk about Jesus and hear about Jesus, were experiencing something that he said, I took for granted. But they got it. They understood it. And as I heard that story, I realized how common Jesus had become to me. And my prayer is that for me and for you, that as we pray in the name of Jesus, it will not just change how we pray, but it will change us. That we will engage ourselves in the power of God and in the love and grace of God and surrender more and more of ourselves in trust to Jesus. us. It will change our lives. Father, thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for changing this world and our lives. Thank you for Jesus. As we pray, as we live, may we do so in His name. And it in should... Amen.